Uh, once again, I want to wish all of you a very uh, good morning and welcome to church, but also want to wish you a Happy New Year. Now, for those of you who don't, uh, are not fluent in Mandarin, of which I'm one of them, you know, that's how it's pronounced. I put the pinyin there. I used to survive in uh, school <laughs> with Hanyu pinyin. And uh, literally, if you don't know Chinese, it means New Year, happy. And happiness is a wish that, you know, is uh, uh, a great wish that we, we uh, bring to others. Of course, you know, it gets sophisticated. On the way here, I ran into some of the Chinese Kong members, and they will use all kinds of greetings for me. And, you know, I'm embarrassed because I can only say a few things. You know, you know, and then that's, that exhausts the uh, extent of it. Sometimes they say things that I don't know how to reply to. But anyway, uh, very funnily, as I was coming back down to the second floor after I'd gone up to put on my robes, one of the Chinese Kong members stepped in and I greeted him in Mandarin and he was shocked. He said, Pastor, I've known you so many years. First time I hear you speak in Mandarin. <laughs> anyway, yeah, happiness, like I said, is uh, uh, something we pursue. And, you know, we're not confined to just the Chinese uh, race who pursue happiness. And I don't know what our concept of happiness may be. You know, maybe if you think about our Chinese greetings, you know, Qing Nian Kuai is one, the other one is what? Gong Xi Fa Cai. So Fa Cai maybe is the other <laughs> aspect of happiness that's important to us. But in our current uh, era and in society, although largely in the West, but, you know, we are not exempt here in Singapore, there's this uh, idea that happiness means pursuing or finding your true self. This past week, because of the Chinese New Year holiday and because of the fact I didn't have as many uh, relations to visit, partly because of restrictions, but also because some have passed on, uh, I found myself um, with time on my hands, so I started reading a book entitled The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, who's a professor of religion and, and Christianity in Grove City College in Pennsylvania. And uh, in it, he uh, tries to get to the heart of the philosophy in which uh, you know, Western society uh, finds itself swimming in. But like I said, it's not confined to the West. It's certainly come to Singapore. And it's largely expressed in this term, expressive individualism which uh, he defines as that each of us finds our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires, where what you feel and what you desire is really the root of what is uh, who you are and what uh, it means to be you. In fact, Charles Taylor, he, whom he quotes, points to this uh, culture of authenticity that has risen up in the, uh, um, uh, the climate of society today. You know, that you need to be authentic. It's from there, he points out, you know, it's derived this thinking that uh, people can say something like this, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. You know, some of us in this uh, congregation are of a certain generation for whom, you know, that does not compute, right? <laughs> because we are taught that, you know, if biologically you have an X and a Y chromosome, there's no question about it. But of course, today, you know, because of uh, what they've discovered about gender dysphoria and all these other things, they're starting to uh, uh, push the boundaries of what we consider should be male or female. And I don't want to get into that at the moment. And, you know, it's, it's a complex issue. But I want to talk about uh, the passage based in uh, the gospel reading. 
but also introduce to you the theme of what I believe God wants us as a church uh, to consider and to um, focus on for this year. And that's this theme of trust and obey. It's a very simple theme. Most of us who've grown up in the church will remember that old hymn, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And, you know, my contention, of course, and I believe the biblical uh, 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 truth which is revealed to us from the Word of God is that if we want to have true happiness, we need to learn to trust and obey. It's the heart of Christian discipleship. And uh, I want us to dive into the gospel because I think it points to that uh, reality for us as Christians and for us to reflect on it. And first and foremost, I, I entitled the sermon at your word. And I want to look at two words or uh, sets of words that were spoken. There are two characters who speak in our pericope, this, this story that's unfolding for us in Luke's gospel. Of course, there's Simon Peter. It's called Simon. He later was renamed by Jesus as Peter. And here he's introduced as Simon Peter. You know, he was eventually the uh, chief of the disciples. He, he became the first amongst equals amongst the disciples. But then, of course, are the words of Jesus. And I want us to compare and contrast or look at the two sets of words and to reflect upon it and find out what it means for us today. But we pick it up from verse 5. And you know what happened, right? The, uh, Jesus had been preaching. He just launched his ministry. He was at this uh, edge of the lake. And the crowds were pressing in on him, and he found himself right at the edge. And to prevent the crowds from pressing on him, he got into the boat. Turns out to be Simon Peter's boat. They had finished fishing, and they were there at the side, and pushed out, and then he spoke. But as soon as he finished preaching, he asked Simon Peter, go ahead and drop your nets. And this was Simon Peter's uh, response. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And, you know, obviously the text doesn't tell us, tell us what is going through Peter's mind. But I can put myself in his shoes and I would be thinking, you know, who are you, a carpenter, to tell me, a fisherman, how to fish? You know, and it's, it's like uh, me, a pastor, trying to tell a CEO how you run your, you know, a multinational company. Who, who am I, right? Um, but I think in some sense, maybe um, um, Peter wanted to humor Jesus, so he replied, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, on the one hand, it seems like he trusted Jesus at his word. But may I suggest to you, the fact that he called him master shows that there was a, a sense of respect. Uh, if you read earlier in chapter 4, you know that uh, Simon Peter had an encounter with Jesus when his mother-in-law was ill. Jesus had visited him and Jesus rebuked the fever and she was healed. So he'd seen his miracle working power uh, operating. But if I were to try and get into Simon Peter's mind, you know, maybe he's thinking, yeah, I respect you. You're a great teacher. I've just heard you preach a wonderful sermon. But, you know, I, I can imagine like if I were to push out onto a boat and the, this man's a fisherman, I say, hey, cast your nets. He say, okay, pastor wants to try fishing. <laughs> right? Never gone fishing before. So he says, all right, for you, I'll do it because I respect you. And he did. And I'm quite sure he wasn't expecting very much. But we know what happens, right? The turning point happens in verses 6 and 7. The nets were let down, 
And as they were hauling it up, the nets were bursting. So much so, he had to call the other boat out. And came, and when they started to haul the catch into the boats, you know what was delight from a wonderful catch suddenly becomes danger. Because the boats began to sink, is what the text tells us. That causes a change of heart. Simon Peter, you know, from the start, although respectful and, and, you know, calling him master, suddenly says this, when Simon Peter saw it, meaning the catch that came, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Started with master, ended with Lord. Now, to be clear, I don't think he quite understood Jesus as the Messiah just yet, neither did he see him as son of God. This is still very early on because later on, as you read, you know, that uh, um, revelation, that uh, epiphany came to him uh, a little later in, in Luke's gospel. But I do think he recognized that he was in the presence of a man of God or maybe an angelic messenger or certainly, you know, that, that God was in and operating in his midst which is why suddenly he was aware of his innate sinfulness. And he dare not stand in the presence of holiness. I'm going to skip over, I want to you know, touch on all three readings this morning. Because in the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah's call. And you know that story which was read to you of how you know, he was caught up in a vision and ultimately the, the, the seraphim, which are angelic beings, were flying about. And, you know, in the presence, again, of a holy God, this was Isaiah's reaction. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, sin is exposed when we are in the presence of a holy God. In our Anglican worship, you know, that's why we always uh, put in a section for the general confession because the expectation when we gather as the people is that we gather in God's presence. And I know sometimes, you know, this saying is true, familiarity does breed contempt. <laughs> we can sometimes come in very flippantly into this sanctuary or into a place of worship or into the presence of God. But when we are in the presence of a holy God, he makes apparent our sin, our falling short, the ways in which we do not measure up. This week, the one of the persons I did manage to visit was my uncle. He's actually my father's youngest brother, so he was the uncle that I was closest to growing up. In fact, I almost consider him an elder brother. And uh, we were reminiscing and we were talking, and he reminded me of an incident in which when he first got married and moved into his new home, of course, he couldn't uh, afford a lot of renovation and stuff. So guess who he called when he needed to repaint the new house, right? So call me. I was the ready um, uh, labor and free. Uh, not free, like he just had to buy me a meal. And so I went over and we were painting. And, you know, we were quite proud of finishing up the room. And we thought we were all good until we turned on the lights and then, you know, shone the light on the wall. We realized all the spots that we missed. And, you know, it's, it's like that. When we come into the light of God's glory, it shines light into the corners of our lives where we have fallen short, where things have been missed out, 
There are ways in which we don't measure up. That's why also we put ourselves under the Word of God because that's what it does. It shines the light upon us. But how did Jesus uh, respond to Peter? And what were the words that he spoke to him? I Back us up again to uh, verse 4 where you know Jesus, after he had finished preaching, he had turned and said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter is a, a professional fisherman. That's what he does for a living. Distantia. He knows that you don't let your nets down, you know, in the bright of day because fish hide. And it's quite pointless. He'd been toiling all night. Obviously, these were not good fishing grounds. And uh, although, you know, he was out, it, it wasn't a, a good spot. He was told to put it out into the deep because usually the fish... Uh, are easier to catch when it's in shallower waters. But nonetheless, you know, it's, even though it was a ridiculous request, even though it tended to defy the logic, he decided to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, mind you, not that his full faith was there, but that obedience, nonetheless, whatever level of trust he had in Jesus' word at that point of time, he obeyed. And he learned the principle that when you obey God, you can be sure that God can be taken at His word. That when the Lord tells you to do something, even if it doesn't make any sense at all, you know, the Lord knows what He's doing. And you will see a bountiful harvest in many different ways. I was sharing yesterday an illustration which kind of related better to them as younger people, but I think it's uh, uh, true for us, and I think I may have shared with you before, but it's such a good illustration, I think it's worth, worth uh, uh, sharing again. I remember an, uh, about an incident in my brother's young life. Uh, I think he was in uh, lower secondary school. And I actually only discovered this much later because uh, he was sharing his testimony and, and in church. He was part of my... Uh, church plan and the congregation and he had been talking about giving and he shared this story of how one day he was in church and it was time for offering and he heard God say to him whether it was an impression or an audible voice he didn't clarify but he suddenly had this sense God say give all that you have into the offering and he had been saving up for many many months now, some background, okay? Chinese New Year, you go, you collect ang pao's. I'll collect, we used to collect quite a lot of ang pao's. My parents would visit a lot of people, so we would make sure we tag along. You know, it's the one time we want to tag along with them. <laughs> and by the end of Chinese New Year, after the two weeks, before the end of the month, all my ang pao money is spent. I've already, you know, spending all kinds of things, going out to eat with friends, you know, going and buy this or that. My brother was always very frugal. And he had decided he wanted to buy a bicycle. Now, being a younger brother, obviously, he always got hand-me-downs. So by the time my bicycle gets to him, I was never very careful with my bicycles, you know. I whack it all over the place. They were never very in good shape. But he wanted for once to have a brand new bicycle for himself. And so he had saved up a lot of money to buy the bike which he had his eye on. And he was very careful about it, and he had all this money. Now, that day in church, there was no special appeal. It wasn't to give to missions. It wasn't to give to a building fund. It wasn't to give to, you know, a, 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 a community service or anything. He just sensed that God says, give. You know, do you love me more than you love your bike? 
And so, in his uh, simple faith, in his faith, he went ahead and he did that. He gave all the money with no fanfare. Didn't tell, like I said, I didn't know this until he was an adult and he told me about it. But I remember what happened after that. My father is often involved in all kinds of uh, um, Christian conferences, goes overseas for speaking engagements. And, um, you know, he's the type of father who, when he goes, he must always come back never empty-handed. We always wait for him to come back and we will unpack for him because <laughs> there'll be presents. Guess what my father brought back? that particular trip. He had a huge box, which when you unpacked it, was a bicycle he bought for my brother. Now, my brother had never told anyone in the family, and didn't tell, certainly didn't tell my dad he wanted a new bicycle. <laughs> didn't know anything about this fact that my brother had been saving money for his bicycle. But, you know, my dad is the kind of person, he cannot pass up a good deal. And he found this really <laughs> wonderful deal on this bicycle, so he decided to buy I mean, who goes and brings back a whole bicycle on a, you know, a short trip and you bring it back uh, uh, and, and put it, you know, as your luggage? But he did. And my brother shared that testimony, and it's a, an illustration. And I can talk about my own life time and time again, how when in obedience to God, in a word which does not make logical sense on a human uh, level, in terms of human thinking, yet in obeying God, we never lack anything. That God knows our needs and He provides for our needs. And that's certainly what happened uh, with the disciples that day. But the question is, when God blesses, I think in many ways that's where the real danger lies. You know, if you read the account of the people of God in the Old Testament especially, an account after the Exodus and where God had to give the law to His people, He was teaching them, you know, how to be His people and how to obey. And He, you know, especially in the book of Deuteronomy at the early part, He talks about the blessings and curses that come from obeying God or from departing and walking in your own way. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, he has this particular warning to them. He said to them, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olives that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, you know, that's the fatai we are looking for, right? He warned this. And take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That in the midst of bountiful blessing, it's very easy to forget God. In receiving the gift, it's easy for us to overlook the giver. In being blessed, we forget the blesser. And that's the warning that God gave to him. And that's the warning he gives to us. But look at how uh, uh, Simon Peter and the disciples who were with him responded. Right after Simon had fallen to his knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Right? Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And this is the story, one of the um, uh, 
commentaries, I can't even remember who it was that was, uh, I was consulting in preparing for this sermon, you know, his subheading or the title for this section, he says, the, uh, the catcher is caught, <laughs> right? The one who catches fish is caught instead by Jesus, you know, and, and uh, the fisherman is taught then to fish after uh, men and women. But we see that the result was this, and when they had, after hearing Jesus' uh, uh, challenge to them, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Which is an example of you know, uh, uh, how we ought to respond, what it means to trust and to obey. You know, and in trusting and when we are blessed, that we not forget the one who has blessed us. And that we continue to walk in obedience with him. Isaiah, uh, the passage we looked at in the calling of Isaiah, you know, in verse 8, it concludes, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And may I submit to you, you know, the reason Isaiah was willing to be sent is actually found in verse 7. Because in there, the account is that the, uh, one of the angelic beings picked up a coal from the altar, a uh, symbol of the sacrifice that was made on behalf of his sin, and touched it to his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is removed, and your sin is paid for. And it is the gratitude of his heart in receiving that clean slate that he was willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. As I conclude, I want to look at the passage in the New Testament that was read in 1 Corinthians 15, because as Paul sums up his letter to the Corinthians, he reminds them of why they do what they do, why they need to be a people who are united. To, last week, I talked about a more excellent way to show love to one another, what is the context? Of course, the context is the gospel, and he reminds them of it. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What's the gospel? He says, It's this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic name for Simon Peter. right? It's Peter in Aramaic. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, although uh, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the prophets. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, that's Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That ultimately, you know, it is God's grace that transformed his heart. 
that the grace of God that he received helped him to trust God in return and to obey. Because, you see, the reason so many of us struggle with trusting God and his word, because sometimes, really, honestly, if we are uh, true about our motivations, at the back of our mind, we sometimes wonder, does God really have my best interests at heart? You know, because it seems like following God's word may end up being detrimental uh, to my life. Being honest in all my dealings may mean I fall behind on my quota that I'm supposed to meet at the end of the month. Being uh, um, uh, uh, trustworthy means sometimes admitting the mistakes I've made and then bearing the consequences of it. And it seems like I will fall behind. That obeying God at times may seem like the most foolish thing to do when everyone else is doing different. But if you understand God's grace towards us, you understand that He loves us with an everlasting love, that He does have our best interests at heart. You know that in the end, His reward is true. And we can put our trust in Him that He will take care of us. You see, that's really what it means to be free. It's not about, uh, as... as um, Truman was saying, uh, finding our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. Freedom is not doing what you feel you want to do. Freedom is becoming all that God had intended you to become. To be who God has designed you to be. And that, ultimately, is true freedom. I want to conclude by pointing out Something which is really interesting as you continue to read through the gospel. It's not the gospel of Luke, but the gospel of John. Do you remember that in John's gospel, well, actually all four gospels you, you see, that uh, Peter at one stage, you know, uh, especially in the upper room, when Jesus was talking about the fact that, you know, everyone's going to desert him. Peter had always foot-in-mouth syndrome, right? He's very quick to speak. He says, never, Lord, I will go with you to the end. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. Before the cock crows this evening, you're going to deny me three times. And as events unfolded that evening, you know, even a slave girl, when asked, aren't you one of them? You know, he says, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about, and scolded her. He indeed denied Christ. And then the cock crowed. And you can imagine his remorse and his... Uh, disgust at his own behavior. I mean, you can see it in the fact that in John's gospel, even after Jesus had appeared to Peter, right, in in the garden and at the tomb and and later on with the disciples, you read in uh, John chapter 21, verses 1 and following to verse 14, it says, you know, after Jesus revealed himself to, uh, again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself to Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I read in that, 
the reality that although he had given up everything and followed Jesus for three years, you know, despite the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, he was still deeply disappointed because he did not appear to be the Messiah in uh, Peter's mind that he had built up. And so he decided, I'm going back to my former profession. <laughs> I'm leaving this all behind. Ministry is not for me. And his um, failure, I think, probably wrote very large on that. It was not so much what Jesus had done, but what he himself had done. And suddenly we see a reprise. They fished all night, but they caught nothing. And then verses 4 and 5 tell us that Jesus appears on the shore and they couldn't tell who he is. And he calls out to them, did you all catch anything? He said, no. And then Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And as you read, you know, Peter is still so... <laughs> Dense. He didn't recognize, it was John actually who recognized, it's the Lord. And Peter though, was quick to action. He threw off his outer garment and he jumped in the sea. He couldn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He swam to Jesus. And of course, we know how the story ends because then Jesus had to restore G uh, Peter. Right? No longer did he ask him to fish for men. He told him to feed my sheep, to feed my lambs, to tend to them, to care for them. You know, three times he denied Christ, three times Jesus gently restored Peter. Why do I point to this reprise? Because I think there are many of us here who know we need to trust and obey God. We've been Christians for many, many years. And we understand that, you know, we need to stay on the straight and narrow. We know what God expects of us. But if we are honest, many of us, just like Peter, have failed him. Maybe we haven't denied him outright before people. But we may have denied him in the way we have lived our lives. In the past that we have walked. And I want to say to you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This same God who demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners dying for us, which we will remember when we come to the table very soon. This same Jesus who despite the fact that Peter denied him publicly, gently restored his disciple. He wants to restore us too. Ultimately, if we want to be happy in life, in love and in Jesus, we need to learn to trust and obey. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as we come to the beginning of a new year, in our pursuit of happiness or seeking the blessings that life provides, Lord, may we understand that true happiness and true blessing is found in the center of your will. I pray that as this year progresses, that Lord, as a people, we will learn to trust you at your word, that we will uh, find ourselves drawing deep from the wells of your word. Not just so that we may have uh, great sources of information, but that Lord, 
we may meet you in your word and develop in our relationship with you so that instead we will have transformation, a transformed life that will in turn obey all that you have called us to do. And Lord, as we go through this year, I pray that as we deepen our walk with you, that we will also deepen our service to you. Not because we want to earn your favour, but because of your great favour to us, Lord. In our gratitude, we will choose to serve our neighbours as ourselves. And I take a moment right now, before I conclude that prayer, for us just to reflect on God's word. To consider what he may be speaking to us for this year of 2022, this new year. What is it that he's calling you to trust him in? What steps of faith do you need to take in this year that will help you to walk in greater obedience to who God wants you to be. And I hope and pray, Lord, that as we reflect on that, that as your Holy Spirit speaks clearly to us, that we, as your people, will learn to trust and to obey. These things we ask and pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.